Good evening. We're continuing our series. Uh, I believe it's number 25 today. We are in Masechet uh, Moed Katan. And if you remember last week, we finished with nails. Spoke about nails, someone who cut his nails. Uh, what's the right thing to do? So let's repeat that and then we move on. Uh, three things were told about cutting nails. Someone who buried them is a tzaddik. Someone who burns it is a chassid, which is even a higher level on a, of a tzaddik. And someone who throw it anywhere on the floor or anywhere else is a rasha. Which means someone who bury them, it's fine. Someone who burns them, it's even better. And if you throw them, it's very bad. Why? Because if you throw them and a woman will pass over it, if she's pregnant, she can have a miscarriage because of it. What's going on here? What's the connection between nails and a woman who passed when she's pregnant? She walked over it and she can lose her baby. What's the connection? The answer is because uh, when Adam, when Hashem created Adam, Adam was a giant. He was huge and it was all from nail. It looks like a diamond with the, with, the sun, with the light of the sun. It was shining like a diamond. Like Chazal said that his ankle it was like, a, like the sun. The angel looked, they made a mistake. They thought he's God himself. They didn't know who he is. So Adam was a, a legendary thing. After the scene, he became smaller, and now the nail became flesh. It's now skin, that's it. But Hashem left a memory of what we used to be before the scene. These nails is, a, is, a, is, a, is the edge of the body. That's where the body ends, right here, and in the feet. Because of that, there is very, very strong impurity where the nails are, which means the bad energy, the demons, the bad angels, when they see the nails, it's a remember, in the remembering what Adam used to be, and that's when you cut the nails, these nails have big, strong impurity in them. That's why if a woman walks over it, what happens when a baby is inside his mother's womb? The angel teach him Torah for nine months, the entire Torah. So when, the, when these uh, demons are stuck to this nail, and a woman walks over with an angel that's teaching the baby above it, that's a collision, something bad can happen. And uh, it's, uh, I know I didn't explain that 100% the way it is, but just for us to get the idea, what's the connection between nails to mis having a miscarriage and lose the baby, person throw it on the floor, chas v'shalom, you can become an indirect murderer. It's like throwing a bomb on the floor. Sometimes it explodes, sometimes not. But what's the difference between burying them and burning them? Burying them, they mean they still exist in the world. Tomorrow a dog will dig or something, or I don't know, they make a, a construction over there, they dig the foundation of a house, it comes out, and still people can walk over it. There's no guarantee that it will stay there forever. Burning them, you destroy them from the world. Why would you flush it? Flush it is like burning. In our days, that's what we do. We flush it, because flushing it is destroying it from the world. It goes somewhere, and that's it. It will not be on the street back again. The Gemara says like this, Amar, 
רבי ראובן בן יצטרובלי, אין אדם נחשד בדבר אלא אם כן עשאו. If somebody suspect you in something, you are guilty. Not a hundred percent. But there is some guilt in you. Maybe not with this individual. He claimed that you stole from this guy. But you didn't. You know you didn't. Check yourself. If Hashem sent you someone to blame you that you're doing it, maybe you did it to somebody else. Maybe five percent of what they're blaming you. But something in it you have. There is no smoke unless if there is fire somewhere. You understand? אין אדם נחשד בדבר אלא אם כן עשאו. If he did it, then, then that's why someone suspect him. ואם לא עשאו כולו, if he didn't do the whole thing what they blaming him, some of it he did. He cheated here, he cheated there, that's why he got into this trouble. But, wait, I didn't finish. If he didn't even do a, a little of it, he had in mind to do. That's already a sin. He had in mind to do that sin. Yes, he didn't get to do it yet, or in the end he held himself. And if he did not think to do it, that's right, now we have a fourth option here. He saw other people make that sin, and he didn't feel bad about it. The opposite, he was happy about it. He saw somebody else doing it? Ah, good. For instance, let's say you have an enemy. You don't like him, and your friend also don't like him. You thinking, I, I can ruin his reputation one to three. But I won't do it. I'm afraid of God. I'm going to suffer in the end. Whatever I do to him, I'll get a worse punishment than his punishment. So I don't say anything. I want to say, but I don't say. Then, sometimes you say a little of what you want to say. You want to say 100%, you say 5%. That's also possible. Sometimes you're so strong, you don't even say 5%. You're thinking to do, but you never do. And sometimes your friend did it. Ah, it's a great, it's great. He got what he deserved. Why are you happy? Now your friend is going to be punished. You should love him like you love yourself. Ah, you're happy that he did it? That means you don't have irat shamayim. person that has fear from God is disappointed when another person makes a scene. Right? If you see someone is violating Shabbat, It has to burn your heart. If you didn't get to this level, that means you're not a lover of Hashem. If you, are, if you have few brothers and one of your brothers is torturing your parents, if you don't suffer with your parents, that means you're not in a level, the required level. If you see your father, his heart is burning for seeing how your brother behaves. And not only you don't help your father, you cover for your brother. You cooperate with him. You help him what to do, how to do, where to hide, and you know that he did, and you change, and you lie for him. Cooperating with him, torturing your father, it's an indication that you're also a hater of your father, not only him. Now you, might, you may come and say, no, that's not true. I'm not doing anything of this to my father. I will never dare. You understand? But the idea here is when you cooperate with somebody that does something wrong, That means you're almost like him. And we all understand that that's the way it works. So you can be a hypocrite. Yeah, it caused it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know what it is. Not, every, not all the time doing it is considered being a hypocrite. Sometimes it's mitzvah to be a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. if, a, if, a, if, a, if a woman comes to you and tells you 
Hey, Rabbi, I want to tell you how stingy is my husband. He's torturing me. He doesn't give me a penny. Such an arrogant husband. I can't take this anymore. I want to get a get. I want this. I want that. And then the father saw that she spoke to you after the, the lecture, the husband. And then when she went to the car, he comes quickly inside. Tell me, tell me what my wife say about me. Tell me. What are you going to say? She say you're a stingy guy. You this, you that, you violent, she hates you. What are you going to say? Only a fool will say the truth. You're not allowed to say the truth. You have to be a great actor, the greatest hypocrite. It's mitzvah in this situation to make peace between husband and wife. If I have to be a hypocrite, I'll do it. Why? That's what Hashem wants. Not to compare us to Hashem, but Hashem himself did it with Abraham and Sarah. And Sarah said, why Abraham is very old? And Hashem didn't say, she said, Abraham is old. She said, he comes to Abraham, he said, why your wife say that she's old? She didn't say she's old. She said, my husband is old. But Hashem doesn't want to make fire. Of course, Hashem knew that Abraham is not going to torture his wife because she says he's old. First, because he's really old. <laughs> There's nothing wrong about it. But sometimes, even if a thought... My wife say about me that I'm old. Ah, that's a little bit disappointment. Already Hashem didn't want to cause this disappointment. So we understand now that if you are a suspect, check yourself in four different categories. Maybe they're right, and Hashem sent them to you to tell you that because you did it to someone. And if not, maybe you did some of it. And if not, maybe you thought to do it's already bad, and if you didn't think to do, you saw somebody else is doing it, and it didn't bother you. Not only that, you're happy about it. Oh, great. Somebody had to do it. Very good. We move on. The Gemara continues. The Gemara says, the Gemara says like this. The Gemara says, why the children of a person die when they're very young? We find Unfortunately, it's always been like this. It's not only in this generation. Why sometimes children are dying? Up to bar mitzvah, they're not guilty. Girls up to 12 years old, they're not guilty. Boys up to 13 years old, they're not guilty. Whatever they did, they're not guilty in Shamaim. It's true that they have to keep mitzvot when they're six years old. They already enough, they have enough understanding to understand that they have to follow the laws of God. But even if they make a sin, they're not, they're not guilty until they become officially bar mitzvah. If, if a, a 10 years old killed someone, you cannot execute him. It's not Iran here. Iran, they take a 7 years old that stole bread and they put his, his hand under the car and the car goes over his arm and chop it. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that famous email, it's going everywhere. Sure, 7 years old and everyone around clapping and happy. Yeah, this is monsters. The Torah is logical. Today, 13 years old, that we see them, they are still little tiny kids, not with not that much intelligence. In the time of the Torah, 13 years old was like a 30 years old man today. People were much more mature, much more independent. Life was much harder than today. There was no electronic games and all this nonsense that occupied their head. People mature into the reality of life right away, like in Africa today. You go in Africa, you have kids 11 years old with machine guns. They already run the world. They go, they do things that you can't believe. 11 years old, soldiers. 
Yes, right, right. But the idea is what you understand what I'm saying here? 13 years old today, really, if you ask me, uh, who am I? I cannot change anything from the Torah. But if you ask me, I would say that we have to make bar mitzvah in age 20. Making bar mitzvah age 13, it's funny. Because sometimes you see these kids, 13 years old, you wonder to yourself, how this, this is a man? According to the Torah, 13 years old is a man. He can get married and, and be a father next year. You know, think about it. Look at our 13 years old kids, what they do. Play with dolls, playing with the girls in the neighborhood, playing with the little kids, playing Lego. <laughs> this is already a man, according to the Torah. In the time of the Torah, that's, it. that's the way it was. Shlomo Amelech, King Solomon, became the king of, not of the king of Israel, the most important king in the world when he was 12 years old. 12 years old, when God came to him in a dream and said, what are you asking me to do for you? He said, give me the right judgment, the ability to judge your nation fairly. At 12 years old, he's thinking how to be an honest judge. What 12 years old doing today? What does he know today? He knows how to be a judge. How many people Bechlal can be judged today in this world? And just to show you the differences between... I, you don't have to go two, three thousand years ago. It's enough you look at your grandmother time, how people used to be in that time, and see. Our grandmothers, especially in the Middle Eastern countries, all of them used to get married 12, 13, 14, 14 15 was already old. Yeah. Check everywhere, Morocco, Iran, Iraq, Syria, all the countries. Ashkenaz also? Ashkenaz maybe not so much. But because in, in Ashkenaz, they were pushing the girls to get more education than in the Arab countries. In the Arab mentality, girls didn't go to school, بخلال. nothing. Most girls didn't know how to read, to write. From the time they were little kids, all they teach them is to clean, to cook, to be a housewife. That was the mentality. Only in the last 100 or 200 years, all of a sudden, every Jewish girl goes to yeshiva, Bet Yaakov. How, how many years you have Bet Yaakov? 100 years? I don't know exactly the dates. I used to know, but I'm, I can't remember right now. It's only a few generations. Up to a few generations ago, no girls went to learn Torah. There was a question if you're allowed to teach her Mishnah, Torah, Chumash. No, whatever the girl knew, knew from the house and later from the husband. That's it. That's how my grandmother used to be. She knew she was a very religious woman, but she couldn't read and write. If you give her an Hebrew book, she couldn't read and write. Everything she knew is from seeing other people, I guess her parents and other people, or the rabbis in the area. Whatever they did, she did. And that's how it was. That's how it was. So let's move on. Why the children of a person, God forbid, they may die? It's not the only reason, it could be many different reasons. It's a matter of reincarnation, we spoke about this. Sometimes a person did not finish his correction to his soul in this life. He has to be reincarnated for another year, for another week, for another three years, and finish, and then it's done. But this is one of the options. What is it? Because when he saw a holy man that passed away, it didn't bother him. It didn't break his heart. That's What's the connection? 
Everyone who is crying and mourning on a kosher person who passed away, it helps to erase his sins. Hashem, see that you cry for a big rabbi that passed away, or you participate in his funeral, or whatever you do. Because you paid respect to that man, why you paid him respect? Because he had beautiful eyes? Because he was very rich? No, not for that I'm crying. I'm crying because the Torah got affected today. Up, up to now we had X amount of Chachamim, now we have X minus one. The knowledge of this Chacham and the things that he was doing every day in his life will be missing. For that I'm crying. Why? Because I love God. If I don't love him, what do I care that the Chachamim die? What does it have to do with me? Ah, if I love God, when his greatest soldiers are passing away, of course it bothers me. Same thing a soldier that loves the king. If a soldier loves the king, if a big general in the army dies, it affects him very much, even now in Israel. When an ordinary soldier died with these terrorist Palestinians all the time, people are upset. But when a major, a colonel, a big general in the army die, ooh, it's much more talking about it. And people are much more broken than that. Why? As a, as a, as a chief of a big uh, base in the army. So right away it's affected the people more. You know, one rabbi was teaching Gemara in a, in a yeshiva, and then one chassid went in, was late, there already is nine o'clock, something like that in the morning. He said, Rabbi, can you lend me your tefillin and your talit? I have to pray shachrit. So the rabbi looks at him, he says, you didn't pray shachrit? It's already nine o'clock. So he says to him, yeah, I didn't. Can I borrow your talit and uh, your tefillin? So he said, yeah, it's right there. Here, go. So he, too, he puts it on, and he went by the window, and this Hasid was praying for an hour. When he finished, the talit, he, he sweat so much while he was praying that the talit became completely wet. You can almost squeeze the sweat, the sweat out of it. He comes to the rabbi and he says, here's your talit and tefillin. So the rabbi said to him, I'm very sorry. I gave you a dry talit, and you're returning me a soaking uh, wet? This is what I gave you? Please give me a clean, dry talit back. So the guy said, I'm very sorry, you know. But I want to ask you a question, he said, the rabbi. While you're already here, how is it possible that you pray for less than an hour, and the talit is so wet? I don't remember the talit by me ever got wet. I sweat a little bit. Gets dirty a little bit, but so he said, I'll tell you the truth. By me, usually I also don't sweat, but there's a reason why today I sweat. So, why? So, you see, I was standing by the window and I saw the, the Russian Tsar with his soldiers passing by. And the Tsar was standing on the side of the road, and the soldiers are exercising. War, it's a combat, you know, exercises, maneuvering, running here, running there, jumping with their guns and this. I saw how much the soldiers are willing to suffer for the Tsar, for the king. How they crawl in the dust, they get wounded, scratch, they run, one hits the other, they jump in the mud, this, that. I saw how much they're doing for this loser, and it kills me that I do not do half of what they do for this loser that today is here, tomorrow the worms will eat him in a grave. I do not do half of it for my creator, for the real king. 
and made me so nervous. And when I get nervous, I begin to sweat. And that's why I sweat. The rabbi say, okay, don't, you don't have to clean the talit. Give it to me. You got the point. You understand? <laughs> if you see such a thing, it has to bother you. It has to bother you. Amar Avuna. Kevan shavar adam avera v'shanava utrabo. Translation. When a person makes a scene first time, he's very upset. <laughs> I did that. Wow. He's very he's nervous, he's confused. A week later, he does it again. Is he upset a week later like he was in the first time or a little bit less? A little bit less. What happened third time? A little bit less. After five, six times? <laughs> well, you just killed someone. Ah, it's the sixth one already. I got used to it. First time, he didn't sleep all night. His wife, what happened? What happened? I had a bad day. Goes in, into the bathroom, comes back. He goes all day trying to sit in the bathroom. He's so nervous. It's changed his entire body. I just killed someone. Second time, no. Third, by the fifth time, right after that, he lights his cigar, drives, he sees the police, he drives next to them, he's not even nervous. Same thing, Chilul Shabbat. First time a boy that's going off the way is, is doing Chilul Shabbat, he feels very bad. Second, third, fourth, after five, six times, he's not even embarrassed anymore. He walks in the street like this, doing it in front of everyone. Why? This is the rule, this is the psychology of the humankind. After he repeats it, second and third and fourth, it becomes a habit. Utralo. In his mind, there's like a switch. Allowed, not allowed. Up to now, the switch was on not allowed mode. After repeating it more than once, it turned into allowed. And in his mind, he will give you hundreds of reasons to convince you why it's no big deal. Is it true or not? This is the Gemara in Tutut. How do you motivate yourself to turn it off? Okay, you know, every that we do, the solution is always one. What is it? The more you learn, the more you learn, the less mistakes you do. When you're connected to the Torah, that's the cure for everything. You're not connected to the Torah, don't expect to be a tzaddik. En ha'aretz chasid. An ignorant person can never be a chasid. Chasid means a high-level tzaddik. Cannot be. Why? It's not connected to the Torah. It's not educated enough. What are you saying? That now it's permitted? After he repeated it a few times, the sin? Not that he's allowed. In his mind, he's convinced that it's no big deal. Ah, it's, all, it's permitted, permitted. No problem, don't worry. But isn't it as if you do it like you keep doing it, Hashem makes it as a power, like he didn't have to be well, that he couldn't stop? If you do it every way, isn't it like eventually you're not going to be able to? Well, obviously, this is exactly what I explained. The more times you do it, it's much harder to stop. If you do it once and stop, it's easy to stop compared to a second and third. Every time you do it extra, 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 it becomes your nature. It's your nature. I give you an example. A person that never stole. One time he had a very difficult time. He, he, he thought to himself, if I won't steal now, I don't know, they'll kick me out of my home. 
he started to think, my wife, my children, I have to steal, I have to steal. I can't take this suffering now, being evicted to the street, whatever. He went and stole. He feel very bad that he did it. But then he said to himself, oh, look what happened. I stole, I'm not out of my home, I have some money to buy my kids things. What? Life, life is great. So, oh, why am I killing myself so hard? Let me go and steal, that's a great job. And then he steals again, and he steals again, and he steals again, until that's become his job. Why it happens to him? Because he's not educated in the Torah. If he only knew that the Torah said, the more you steal, you're going to pay double. You're going to pay double. Everything is steal. It's really taking without permission, and there's a camera. Soon the police will come and, and make you pay double. Not only what you stole, whatever, you stole a million, you're going to pay two million. What are you, a fool? Who wants to borrow with 100% interest? Show me that fool. Even the mafia don't take 100% interest. Why he's doing it? He's not educated. He doesn't understand. It's just a matter of time. You got the point? That's why learning is a solution for every problem. Let's move on. Amar Abiyami, Leman Ismecha Mitat Miriam Lepara Aduma. We have Parashat Chukat. So Chukat HaTorah. This is the law. Of the Torah, you have the law of a red cow. Red cow, King Solomon said that all the mitzvot, all the commandments, he knew the secrets in them. All this, so much secrets in every mitzvah. We do not know 1% of what he knew. And we still are very impressed. We know few. It makes me very excited when I know some deepness into the mitzvah. Oh, this is connects to this, this because of that, that's because of this. The more you know inside, right, you become more excited to do it. That's the nature of a person. It's the same thing like you go to the doctor and you say, take these pills. And you say, well, what's these pills? I don't have time for you. Goodbye. Next customer, next patient. Or the doctor is nice in explaining to you what the pills does. You know, this is your problem. Every time you take the pills, it makes the nerves go like this, and then it's expand, and the blood goes in, and, and he's explained to you the whole chain reaction, what happened after you take these pills. And after a while, it cleans the area, and from suffering, you feel free, and you don't have pain anymore. Oh, now you know the whole thing. Every time you take the pill, it makes you very excited, because you know the benefits that you are receiving. Not knowing, just like a robot taking it, not understanding what you do, it's, it's boring. It's necessary, but it's boring, it's not as exciting. This is the nature of a person. So King Solomon said, I knew the secrets of all, Hashem gave him this gift. But one mitzvah, I don't, I, I don't understand, it's above my understanding, it's red cow. What confused him? That this is a very interesting mitzvah. You take the red cow, you slaughter it, you take it with the skin, everything, you burn it, you take some spices, you take water from the Shiloach, which is spring water in Jerusalem that comes out, you mix it, you take the ashes, and you take with the water, you mix it, you splash it over a Kohen that is not pure. The Kohen that is not pure become pure. But, the, but, the, but the, if you put it on a Kohen that is pure, it makes him not pure. So it takes your position and, uh, and opposite it. In other words, if I'm pure and you put it on me, I became not pure. But if I was not pure, he put it on me, I became pure. The same water does the opposite? How can it be? It's a mystical thing, because water, it's a physical thing. How a physical thing can behave one time black and one time white? It's very hard to understand. 
I'm sure there's other secrets over there that he, didn't, he couldn't put it together. And that's why it's called chuka. What's chok? Chok means this is the law, and you don't understand the reasons of the law. You have to obey the rules, not understanding the divine logic behind it. Of course, it makes it harder. I always use it for my own benefits, because about 80% of the Torah, it's very difficult to understand the divine logic in it. So I always tell people, that's a proof that a man never wrote the Torah. Because if a person writes any document, he makes sure that everybody understands what he wants to say. He doesn't give a book that 80% of that not only nobody understands, it's against human logic, some of it. What's the point? What am I trying to prove? Right? If it's not, if it's not from God, then it can be from a crazy person. It's one way or the other, there's no in-between. Either you are a superpower, and that's why we don't understand your logic, because your logic is above human, or if you're not divine, you're crazy. One of the two, right? Because why, why a person care that you take the, the, the blood from the goat that you just slaughter, and you put it in the ear of the, of the person, and you put it in his toes? What's this, all these things? And you splash in a corner of the altar three times, four times. Who cares about this? What person would make these laws? Take the bird, get rid of the bird. If somebody spoke Lashonara, you put him in a special place, you, you shave his eyebrows. Uh, a person murdered, accidentally you put him in a shelter city, he cannot come out of there until the Kohen Gadol will die. Nobody understands. It's very complicated. Nobody would make it. No human being will make these laws. You should not steal. A human being can make. It's logical. You should not kill. It's a human being a law. You should respect your parents. It's also human. Uh, you should not be arrogant. It's human. Many of the mitzvot are logical. Kill animals is human? Of course not. To shave the eyebrows and the eyeliner, whatever you have, and all your skin, and you be over there, and you have leprosy because you spoke Lashonara. It's not, no, nobody understands it. That's the proof for those who have some brain in their head that this was made by the creator of the world, not by ordinary people like us. Because when we make something, we make sure everybody would understand it. We want them to be impressed from what we just gave them. And if we know that they won't understand, right? If I want to come to you and none of you speaks Hebrew, and I want to teach you Torah, and I want you to be impressed from the Torah, will I speak to you in Hebrew? No. Why will I speak to you in Hebrew? Anyway, you won't understand. None of you will sit all, all night like this. You fall asleep or you leave. Imagine me coming and speaking to you Chinese now. What's the point? Why am I giving you a book that 80% of that you begin to ask millions of questions? I should have made it a lot more simple, like Christianity. Everything is allowed. Five, six things, hallelujah, a little bit ashes, piano, finish, all these things. Give me 50 bucks, confession, machul, you're all forgiven, that's it. Finished, no? Let's move on. Why the death of Miriam, the sister of Aaron and Moshe, is right next to red cow in the Torah? When there are two subjects, one next to the other, it shows that there is a connection between them. Remember this. Lomar lecha, to teach us, 
מה הפרד ומה מכפרת? same way a red cow repents for the sins. The same thing when a righteous person, when a big chacham, big tzaddik dies, also make repentance for the entire nation. Sometimes there is a decree that God forbid 10,000 Jews has to die. So many wicked people, Hashem said, all these 10,000 really has to die now. Because they're ignoring my Torah. Everything I say should not do, they do. I wrote in the Torah that the punishments for this and this and this is execution. They ignore me. So what's the, the justice? The justice is that I have to, they have to die. That's the justice. But I don't want to take 10,000 of my children in one shot. So what do I do? I take one person that is equal like 10,000 of them in his level. Each one of the 10,000 keeps few mitzvot, puts tefillin once in a while, uh, you know, has mezuzot in his home, he eats kosher once a week, you know, he does few things. You add the 10,000 together, all the good that they do, you put it on a scale, you take that individual that learns a lot of Torah and keeps a lot of mitzvot, you put it on a scale, they are equal. So he takes one that is equal like 10,000. Where did we learn this concept? Where does it say it? It's in Shira Shirim. Shira Shirim, it's a part of the Tanakh, the 24 books of Judaism. Inside it says, Dodi, Dodi, it's Akalosh Baruch Hu. Dodi Arad Leogano, Hashem came down to the garden, Lilkot Shoshanim. There are plenty of thorns and roses here and there. One rose, another rose. The thorns are the wicked people. And the roses are the righteous people. One rose that you take out, it's like thousands of thorns together. How much the thorns worth? Not even a penny. Why do they want, who wants thorns? Maybe to make fire. They have some value, but nothing. You compare one beautiful rose that cost you $5 to, to the thorns, how much thorns you have to accumulate to be equal to one rose. So Hashem picked the roses. Roses means, this is an analogy here. Hashem picked the roses, instead of burning the whole field, He take one rose from here, one rose from there, and give them another five, ten years opportunity to make tshuva, to repent. It's good for them, it's good for Him. And that's the idea here. So when a big man is dying, when a big dolador chacham dying, it's a, instead of a major tragedy that should have happened. That's why it's one next to the other, red cow, make the sins forgiven. Same thing, the death of the righteous people helps everybody around him to erase some of his sins. Amar Rabbi Elazar, why the death of Aaron, the brother of Moshe, is similar to the clothing of the Kohen. There's a special few things that the Kohen wear. The Kohen is a high priest in English, even though I don't like this word. But it says, to tell you, to teach us, the clothing of the Kohen, the Torah told us that it's repent for the sins. The same thing, the death of the righteous people are forgiving the sins. Which means we, we took Miriam and Aaron, which they're both righteous, and the Torah speaks about their death, next to another subject. Same thing, their death. The same thing, that subject is repenting, also the death of these righteous people is repenting. The Gemara continues still in Moed Katan. Aniftar minamet, lo yomar lo lech leshalom, ela lech beshalom. 
When a person dies and is in his last way to the funeral, to the grave, you say to him, Lech Beshalom, go in peace. When a person is alive and he leaves your home or your office or whatever, or you meet him on the street, you don't say Lech Beshalom, you say Lech Leshalom, go to peace. There's a difference, even though it's only one letter. Beshalom, Leshalom. It changed a big thing. Let's see. In Genesis 15, we see, And you are going to lay with your fathers in a grave, Beshalom, in peace. Aniftar minachai, when you say goodbye to a living person, you say lech leshalom. Why? Jetro, itro, say to Moshe, lech leshalom, go to peace. Go to peace, go with peace. It's two different things. And he was very successful after he told him that. So everything we learn from the Torah, nothing from our own opinions. David said to Avshalom, his son, the wicked son that he had, Lech Beshalom. And what happened to him? He went and they hung him. Lech Beshalom. Every time they say Beshalom, go with peace, the end was bitter. Go to peace, the end was very good. Very interesting. And this is a common mistake in Israel, in the modern Hebrew. People don't know the difference. In the modern Hebrew, it sounds the same. Even in English, it sounds the same, right? If you go to someone, go go to peace or go with peace. You won't see the difference. Ah, it sounds more or less the same idea. In the Torah, every letter counts. Rava, Rava say, Kadesh atzmach bamutar lach. Now, it's just for this sentence alone, I can give you a one-week lecture about it. One week, without exaggerating. We don't have time. Time is running out. Let's say two, three words about it. We all know that the Torah has mitzvot, commandments, you should do, you should do, and restrictions, you should not do. The Torah says what's allowed, what's not allowed, everybody understands. 248 you should do, 365 you should not do. The punishments of the restrictions are worse than not doing the mitzvot. Sitting still and doing nothing, it's not as bad as actually making a sin with your hands. You should know that. The punishments are more severe, if a person has to save himself from a sin, it depends which sin. If it's an obligation to do a mitzvah and he cannot do, he has to spend up to 20% of his total worth, net worth, to not to miss this mitzvah, these commandments that he should do. Up to 20%, not more than that. If he doesn't have, he's dismissed from the mitzvah. It's not a sin. I couldn't do but to avoid himself from, make, from violating restrictions, he has to give his total worth, no matter whether it's a thousand dollars, whether it's a billion dollars, not to make one sin. Which means if a guy comes to force you to eat pork, if you can bribe him not to do it, you have to give him everything you have. If you Bill Gates, you give him 30 billion dollars not to take a bite from that pork, or not to light a cigarette on Shabbat. If you can save yourself with money, take everything I have, don't make me make that sin. This is for us to understand what, how severe it's one sin. Not to talk about people who do millions a day of them 
with their own will, with their own, with their own choices. We are talking, someone puts a gun to your head. You can play dumb. Hashem, what do you want from me? Here's a gun. What will be the answer in your trial when we die? Who do you think sent this guy to you? I sent him to you. Why he didn't go to the other guy? Why he didn't go to that guy? Because that was your test. I wanted to see if you're willing to give your million dollars that you save in 20 years for, for me. If, I'm, if, the, if the Torah is more important than the money, or the money is more important, and you fail your test, come and see how much you would gain if you give him the money and not make the scene, how much more I would give you. And when he shows you a movie, what would come out of it? And you kill yourself, what a fool I am, what a fool I am. What is it like? The king had a servant, and he, come, he comes to the servant and he says, listen good what I'm telling you. If somebody ever comes to you on the street and tells you to take off your shirt, stay without a shirt, don't ever agree. Be very careful. No matter how much money he gives you, he bribes you, he gives you gifts, he promises you things, don't ever take your shirt off. The guy says, okay, your majesty, okay. Two weeks later, he walks in the street, somebody comes to him and says, hey, I see that you're becoming a hunchback. Look, what's going on with you? You're a young guy, you're not even 30 years old, you're already bending down like this. They say to him, what are you talking about? I don't have anything. He said, yeah, I'm telling you, I, I'm an expert, I'm a doctor, I can already see. So he said to him, no, no, you're imagining. He said, trust me when I tell you. If you take your shirt, I'll show you exactly in your spine. So the guy said, no, no, I'm sorry. I can't take the shirt off. He said, what do you mean you can't? Take the shirt off. He said, no, no, no. Come on, come on, I give you a thousand bucks. Take your shirt off. He said, no, no, sir, no. Oh, come on. Just tell me any amount of money I give you. How much you want? You want 5,000? You want 10,000? As they're negotiating, he said, okay, listen, I'll give you $100,000 to take your shirt off. Last offer. I say, I know the king told me not to take it, but the king would be very proud of me if I bring him $100,000. Gift, no? I'm not doing it for me. I'll come to the king. I'll give it to him. Okay, give me the $100,000. I give him a bag full of $100,000. He take his shirt off. He said, okay, here's your money, thank you very much. He takes his camera, he takes a picture of him without a share. The guy said, what's going on here? He said, don't worry, you're not a hunchback, very healthy. He goes, he comes to the king, a box full of cash. Here, what is this? And say, I made you 100,000 bucks in one minute. Isn't it? I'm a great servant. The king said, don't tell me you took your shirt off. He said, I did, but I bought you $100,000. Say, you fool! I had a bet with this guy that if he can get you to take the shirt off, I'm losing $10 million. That's the bet. You just made me lose $10 million. $10 million. Oh, he said, why do you mix your own opinions in my orders? Just stick to the text. Don't use your own imagination. This is the Torah, that's it. Leave your heart alone, don't hallucinate, don't calculate. That's what happened to King Saul. Hashem told him, destroy the nation of Amalek. Everyone, women, children, animals, do not leave any memory from them. He almost did it, he left one. Because of that one, we had Haman. 
in, in Persia almost destroyed the whole Jews. But we got away with that. Baruch Hashem. Then we had the Romans, the destruction of the second temples, slaughtering pregnant women in Israel, taking the babies alive out. That's what they used to do. Ambushed Israel, Jerusalem for three years, starving the whole people. So much suffering in their time because of that. If you would finish the job, it would never happen. So here we look, so much, so much suffering came out of not listening to Hashem, not because he was wicked. He was a very righteous king, very modest, very righteous, everything. In the end, he thought, yeah, Hashem told me to kill everyone. But I killed everyone. What's the point of killing the sheep? I'll sacrifice the sheep. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be happier, no? You fool. Excuse my language. I told you kill the sheep. Well, I don't know that you can sacrifice the sheep for me. Why do you think you're smarter than me? Compared to me, you are foolish. You're not in my level. I told you kill the sheep. Who made the sheep? Who made all these 10,000 goats? I made them. Do you think they worked for me something? How much they worked for me? A quarter? They're not worth anything for me. I go like this. It's going to be another million goats tomorrow in the world. They come out of New Zealand over there from the mountains. You would know how they came to the world? Nobody would know. All of a sudden you see a thousand here, five thousand there. What is it for me? The idea is the test here. And you failed the test and he lost his kingdom. And what came after that? The Nazis. Who are the Nazis? Also is their descendants of Amalek. And who give all the weapons to the Arabs today? Without them, the Arabs wouldn't work like a peel of a garlic. The Russians, also Amalek. Everything Amalek. Everything for, for trying to do better than what God says. Why am I telling you this? Because we all understand what's allowed, what's not allowed. If we do it or not, that's another story. That's another story. But the rabbi come and say, there is a way to sanctify yourself, to make yourself holy by... Things that you're allowed to do. You're allowed to do, but you're not doing. I'll give you an example. You sit now, you eat. There's no restriction. You can eat watermelon. You want ice cream for dessert, you can eat ice cream. You want cake, you can eat cake. You want cream cake, you can eat cream cake. You're not a criminal. You like to enjoy the taste of the great food that Hashem made. It's no problem. It's not a sin. But what happens if you are craving this beautiful cream cake or this great watermelon or grapes, whatever it is? You're craving. And you say, Hashem, I'm sacrificing this desire for you. I don't touch it. For you! I don't touch it. It counts like you fast the whole Yom Kippur. For one minute, one, five seconds, how long did it take, this desire? After, uh, after ten seconds, you forgot about it. You got up from the table, you left. Don't sit and, and cry all day, I didn't eat this cream cake. It's gone. It was a one-minute test, and it's over. Or other things. Things that you're allowed to do, but you don't do. That's a higher level of keeping mitzvot. What you're not allowed to do, big deal. <laughs> Hashem said not to do. Only not normal people will go against God. Or 
ignorant people, one of the two, people who do, who do not know God or do not know their Torah. That's one thing. So that's why they, do, they make sins. Someone who knows God, he knows the Torah is real and makes sins, he's not normal. It's not, something is wrong with him. Don't you see? Don't you see? Today, you know who is not normal? Those who keep the mitzvot. You know, you have normal and not normal. Normal means ordinary. What's, it's common. Everyone does. In the old days, once in a while you see a wicked person in the time of the Torah, and the Torah told you how they handle him. One Michalel Shabbat, Slofchad, in a generation of the desert. One! The Torah says his name, because it was only one. Imagine if it was like to the 80%. So half of the Torah will be the names of the Mechalele Shabbat. If Hashem will give the Torah today, just he wants to write all the wicked people, three quarters of the Torah will be the names of all the... Who wants to read this Torah? Another name and another name. Mr. X, Mr. Y, Mr. Y, the son of X, Mr. X, the son of R. So many... Ah, come on, it's boring. Leave me alone. Ah, there was only one. Tzlofchad. One Mechalel Shabbat. They bring him in the Torah. You understand? One thief. In the time of Yoshua uh, Ben-Nun, Achan, he stole from, the, from, the, from all the wealth when they occupied Jericho. So Hashem said not to touch their wealth, their jewelry, whatever. don't touch from it. He doesn't want it. curse on it. One stole, soldiers started to die. One! If everyone was today, almost everyone is a thief. You couldn't write the Torah in this generation. Well, well, how are you bringing me a story that there was one thief? It's not fair. Why are you telling me about this thief when there's another five million around him? It's not fair. Why him and not him? Discrimination? And at the time of the Torah, it was only one, two, three. Oh, so, it, so the Torah gave, it, gave you the story as an example how not to be. But today... Yeah, today Hashem irachem. So let's move on. And mekablim gerim. Now we're moving into one of the most difficult masachtot in the Torah. We actually kadesh atzmach b'mutar lach. Sanctify your name with what you allowed. Your, 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 sanctify yourself with what you allowed. It's already the first thing that I read to you from masachet yevamot. It's a very complicated masachet. And it's really meant for genius people. But it's so complicated. All the relationship between you, your brother who passed away, and his wife, and there's another wife, Tsarata, and this, and what happened in this. Ooh, it's complicated. It's so interesting. It's like a flying to the moon, learning it. But it's very complicated. You, you sometimes feel that smoke comes out of your ear when you learn it. But, you know, it's, it's an amazing Masechet. But let's see some of the things that this Masechet has to teach us. Tanu Abanan, En mekablim gerim limot ha-Mashiach. After Eliyahu Navi will announce the arrival of the Messiah, Eliyahu Navi in English is Elijah. Eliyahu, Elijah. En mekablim gerim limot ha-Mashiach. We are not allowed to accept converts after the Messiah arrived. Which means, if now we're going to hear a shofar in the world, all over the world, everyone hears siren. You know what's going to happen. Everyone will get out of their cars, people from the windows, look up, right away running to CNN. Anybody knows what happened? UFOs, something nuclear. Nobody would know what's going on. Take a few minutes. Then there will be another breaking news. 
We have a breaking news from Jerusalem. Somebody with long beard <laughs> came on a donkey from the mountain of the olives in Jerusalem, but before that the mountain broke and shifted and earthquake and this, but before that there was a person named Elijah, he announced that the Messiah arrived. That's it, it's, it's already happening now. You know how many Christians and Muslims would run to the rabbis or to any Jew that they know, holding him, grabbing him, help me, help me to convert, come, I give you a billion dollars, all the oil money that I have from Saudi Arabia that I made, take it, just make me a convert. Why? They all understand that the mosque and the churches is all nonsense. They wasted their time on all this nonsense. Everybody understands, that's what we say in the prayer, there will be one God with one name. Not JC, not Muhammad and Mahmoud and Mustafa and Buddha. None of them. One God. Some Arabs are already clever enough now to convert. Here, I, on my way here, one from Saudi Arabia, 18 years old. He listened to my lecture for the last year and a half. And now, finally, he waited for the moment that he's going to be 18 years old that he tells his parents that he moves to England to school, to college. He got accepted in college and he's going to convert. He's already in touch with the rabbis in Manchester and he's going to convert. He says to me here in an email that I received two hours ago. He says to me like this, you have no idea how much I suffered in the last year and a half after I found out your lectures, how much I suffered to learn in my country about evolution and about Islam, knowing it's nonsense. But I have to learn it to pass the grades that I will be qualified to get, to be able to go to England to get accepted to a college. I have to show them that I know the theory of evolution and I know Islamic studies. I have to have grades, you know, like you have to have a degree, whatever you call it, I don't know. You have no idea what a psychological torture, that's his words, learning this nonsense. But I only did it for God, for Hashem, he writes, not God, for Hashem. Because he knows that I'm only doing it because I want to go and convert and be a Jew. And now he writes that they told him that he cannot be a Jew before he's 21 years old, because maybe he's not mature enough that, that he may change his mind. So he writes here, I'm convinced that once they know who I am and how sincere I am, they change the law. The truth is, I don't think there is a law like this. Nowhere in the Shulchan Aruch or in any book I saw there's a law that you cannot convert before 21, the opposite. The halacha said that if you convert and you have little children, you convert them with you. However, they are not fully Jewish until they reach mitzvot. If it's a girl, 12 years old. If it's a boy, 13 years old. When they are 13 years old or 12, you bring them to the Jewish court in front of the rabbi and you say to him, now you, now you are becoming a man. Now after sunset tonight, soon it's going to be, and you're becoming 13 years old. You are a man of your own. You're responsible for your own sin. Do you want to accept and finalize your conversion? Or you want to deny it, you don't want it, your parents force it on you, maybe you want to stay a goy, you only have to, all you have to do is to keep the seven law. If you say, no, I'm not interested in this kind, it's too difficult for me to keep all these laws, I want to stay Muhammad like I used to be. I'll keep the seven laws. 
He said, okay, no problem, you dismissed. They announced this one is not a Jew, even though you saw him in a synagogue in the last five years, because he came here with his father. And that said, he's not a Jew anymore. Usually it's very rare if the kids already grow into it, since their kid already used to it. They will not deny, you know, maybe once in a blue moon. But that's the, that's the halakha. You ask him, and if he changes his mind, he's not a Jew. And if he say yes, it's finalized, that's it. The Beit didn't announce him as a Jew, and that's the decision in heaven. Hashem accept him as a Jew and finish. The laws of conversion are very complicated. But one thing for sure, there is no law. You have to be 21. But there is a law that you have to give very hard time to all these gohim who comes to convert to see how sincere they are. What is this? It's a joke? Uh, you want to be in, uh, in, in politics with me? What is this? I ask you. This is a decision that can affect your eternity. You know, if you go and you become a Jew and you don't keep mitzvot, you know what a foolish mistake you just made? Up to now you were dismissed. Now you made yourself guilty of every second of your life, which before you were not guilty. Up to the conversion, you were not a criminal. Now you became a criminal in every step that you do. You go, you don't put fill in today, criminal. You didn't pray, criminal. You eat non-kosher, criminal, 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 500 times a day, every bite. Shabbat comes, million times criminal. What did you need this for, you fool? Stay what you are. You only have seven things to do with six of them anyway, and most go and keep. What do you have to do? Very easy life, and you go to heaven. And now you brought it on yourself. What a foolish decision. That's what will happen to a lot of the Russians who came to Israel. In order for them to get an Israeli citizenship, they have to go through conversion. But of course, almost none of them wanted really to convert. They're not interested to keep Shabbat. This is all going. They want to eat pork. They cannot live without pork, most of them. They will eat pork at 5 o'clock in the morning with vodka. 150 pork store in every city in Israel. Can't live without it. Take away the pork from them, forget about it. So now, how are they going to convert these people? But they are, in order for them to get rights in Israel, to vote, to get help from the government, all kinds of things, to go to school, to go join the army, all these things, they have to convert. But it's, everybody knows it's a fake conversion. That's the big arguments now in Israel for the last year. So what happened? They convert, and they don't keep mitzvot. <laughs> if the conversion went through, and a month later they don't keep mitzvot, they were, to get a few thousand dollars a year that the government will give them, they prepare themselves the worst hell you can imagine, which they were not supposed to have. We Jews, nobody asks us. You're the son of God. Whether you like it or not, you have to be happy. If you're not happy, it means you're a fool. That's it. There's no other explanation for it. You're born the son of the king of the world, and you're upset about it? You don't want to wear your special uh, prince outfit? Forget it. You're a fool. No other way. There's no, why you don't have a choice? You're born a Jew, you die a Jew, you cannot convert to any of this nonsense. Nobody asks you. You can say, no, 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 Rabbi, I'm not a Jew anymore. I became Muslim. I became a Buddhist. I became Christian. You think someone cares over there? You are 100% guilty in everything you do. It's not, it's not going to change your status. But the, the Goim can change their status. Why? Because they're going up, not down. To go down, you can't. To go up, you can't. That's the law. So, 
When the time Mashiach come, of course all the goyim wants to convert. What's the question? They run. No more. Why? Because there wa it will not be a pure conversion. Why it's not going to be a pure conversion? Why? Because when a person converts for some benefits, he doesn't convert for God, for the benefits that he's going to get. For instance, if a person knows that the only way he can open a butcher shop is by being a Jew with a yamaka, Shomer Shabbat, but he's an Italian man. So you see, wow, what a gold mine. What's the problem? I'll be a Jew. Anyway, I'm not so religious in my religion. I'll be a Jew. I'll make a million dollar a month. Very good for me. This kind of conversion is not a kosher conversion. He didn't convert for Hashem and for the, for the, the truth of the Torah. He converted for the million dollar a month or something that is very common in our days. He met beautiful Christine in a disco jumping on a stage. Two minutes later, he brings Christine. He said, the only way you can be with me, you know, I have a lot of money and a family and everything. The only way, you have to be Jewish. Of course she'll be Jewish. What does she have? She lives in a basement with five of her friends somewhere. He brings her, he buys her a nice car. He takes her to there. Yalla, Christine became Sarah. No problem. Christine didn't want to be Sarah. She wanted to be a rich housewife of a man that she, she happened to like. She never converted now for the truth. If it was Ahmed, she would be Ahmed. If it would be Mustafa from Dubai, to be a princess in Dubai, I'll be an Arab, I'll be a Muslim. What's the problem? That's not a real conversion. Or all the black basketball players that come from America to Israel. After a while, if they want to stay to live in Israel, they have great life over there. Everybody on the street gives them attention. Over here, there's millions like them. Everyone over there in Harlem is the, is the same thing. What? So nothing. Or when they come to Israel, oh, psh, wow. Seven feet tall. A big giant walks in the street. Hey, can you sign for me? They give him attention. So what happened? They want to convert. Yeah, give me an Israeli citizenship. Also, the team are very interested that they'll convert. Because once they convert, the law, I think, that they can bring, the import three players from overseas. But once they convert, it's not considered an import. It's already a part of the team. Now they can bring another one instead. So, the, so instead of, uh, you know, like uh, three uh, Americans, now they're going to have four Americans. You, you understand what's the whole thing? So they promote him. Allah, convert, what do you care? Anyway, you don't do anything. All these conversions are only fake. The Israeli secular government, which they are, excuse my language, much worse than this goyim, much worse. What do they care if they keep mitzvot or not? All you have to show me that you converted. You converted, you get an Israeli ID. That's it. They don't care, keep, not keep. Therefore, you have to understand that it's not a joke to convert. Hashem decides if to put a Jewish soul in his body or not. And he goes into the water, into the mikveh. If it's all fake, he doesn't get that. Now what happened if the time in the conversion, he wasn't sincere. He didn't plan to keep mitzvot, nothing. But two years later, he started to hear lectures and he decided to become religious. He needs to convert again. If he doesn't convert, he keeps mitzvot 20 years now, he grows a beard, he comes to the synagogue, he keeps Shabbat, in the end is nothing. It's all is a goy. He doesn't get the Jewish reward that he's supposed to get. Why? Because in the time of the conversion, he never received the Jewish soul. 
when he went in, because Hashem knew that he doesn't plan to keep mitzvot. Conversion means to accept all the Jewish mitzvot on me with no exceptions, no conditions. Yes, God, that's the truth. That's your order. I want to be one of your nation. If I come and say, yeah, I'll accept 50%, the conversion is not valid. Because of that, there is thousands of fake converts that one day your children, God forbid, will marry their children. And your grandchildren will be goyim. And you come to Shamaim and Hashem say to you, I'm very sad to inform you that half of your grandchildren are from Zera Amalek. Grandchildren of Haman and Hitler. You say, what? What are you talking about? My, my daughter-in-law, she was for Bet Yaakov. She was a very religious woman. Yeah, religious. But what can we do in the time of her conversion? She never accepted mitzvot. Five years later, she became religious. It's not helping. She needs to convert again. Very complicated. If the government was religious like it's supposed to be, we didn't have all these problems. Why? You want to convert, you have to accept all the mitzvot. If not, go back to your country. Since the government is also like goyim, how can they come and tell Christine or Chris now, you have to keep Shabbat when he himself drives on Shabbat? So that's what happened with a lot of Israelis that meet all these girls here, and they have a rule. I don't want to murder my parents or my grandparents that used to be religious, so I will never marry a Goya. So I want to convert her. He's, he's lying to himself, you know. How do I convert her? I take her to the rabbi. There's only one problem. If she goes through the real conversion, she begins to learn the Torah, most of the time she will say, wow, what a great thing. Psh, I want to be religious. He won't let her. <laughs> he doesn't want her to be religious. If she'll be religious, she will dump him from the window. Go away from here, you goy. Why do I care your name is Yitzchak or Avram or Chaim? You're a goy. I learned in a course. I went there six months for morning. I learned, I read the books. That someone like you is 100% a goy, according to the Torah. I don't want to marry you. You think it's a joke? At least a thousand times it happened to me in the last 16 years. That there was almost an intermarriage. And the goy or the goya, when they went to the real orthodox conversion, they dumped the Israeli and said, well, you're not good enough for me. Yes. And sometimes they made him religious. I know one girl. She had a guy, an Israeli mover. He's working in a moving, he's in charge of the moving crew. She is from somewhere from Scandinavia, this one. He liked her beauty. And she went through conversion by a rabbi in Brooklyn, very serious conversion. And then she told him, my friend, you either with the Torah and the mitzvot, I have nothing to do with you. <laughs> he didn't want to give up. He fell, fell in love. In this case, he didn't really fail. It, it brought him up. And he started, he had big ponytail, he had a earring in his tongue. When he talked, you cannot see him. Big earring, like a stick in the middle of his tongue. And I looked at him, I almost vomit. <laughs> now he complains to me, when I used to give lectures in this place, he complains to me that she became too religious, he doesn't know what to do with that. I tell him, shame on you. She come from Scandinavia, nothing over there. She became a rabbit and you like a ponytail all the way to the end of his back. Today you should see what a tzaddik is. He's in charge of a shul in Brooklyn. 
עימק שבתונים, היא סוואט, ממש סוואט לה כדנקי. To put tables, chairs, to bring people to Sudat Shabbat. He cooks the chulen. He walks 45 minutes back and forth three times on Shabbat. What a tzaddik. Why? He either had it or not. Thanks to her, he became a tzaddik. Strange how sometimes it works. But all these converts who converted and didn't accept mitzvot, stay away from them. They are not Jewish. Be very careful. You have to be very careful who your children are going to marry or your grandchildren, as long as you can prevent it. But isn't it a favor that if you're not fully Jewish and you, and you keep the Shabbos? Of course. That, I, that's what I said. They got themselves into a very serious mess. Before they became supposedly Jewish, they could have done whatever they want. Now they make themselves supposedly Jewish and they don't keep. That's a big mistake. But again, some of them never became Jewish. Because they don't understand what it is. So they really never became. So whatever they do, it doesn't matter because they're anyway not Jewish. A guy that, that observed the Sabbath is risking his life. Because the Sabbath was given to the Jews, not to them. It's a covenant between the nation of Israel to God, not any other nation. Also, if they learn specific Torah that applies only to Jews, general things like most of the lectures and you know general study the creation of the world this that general things they can learn but sitting and learning the laws of brachot the, the laws of shabbat the laws of uh, all these things that applies to jews that's already risking their life because those two gifts were given to israel the torah and the shabbat if a guy wants to do other mitzvot even mezuzah is allowed to put he wants to put filin he can put filin If you know that he will respect it, you're allowed even to sell it to him. You understand? So, again, there are, every question has an answer. But the idea is that if a guy keeps Shabbat and he didn't convert, that's very foolish. You finally give up on so many things you can have done on Shabbat, go to the beach, drive a car, work, open your business, make money, whatever. In the end, you keep Shabbat and you're not getting a reward for it? That's a shame. Let's move on, because time is running out. We only have 15 minutes left. The Gemara says, so remember, in the time of King David and the time of King Solomon, the Jewish court did not accept any converts. Why? There's so many thousands of them were coming every month, wants to convert. Why? Because the nation of Israel became the most important in this world, not only in the upper world. In the upper world, they were always the most important nation. But over here, how many times in history the Jews were in charge, in control? In the time of Solomon, in the time of David, that's it. Why in charge? Because the whole world admired them. Everyone came to bring King Solomon gifts to the temple. The Jews were like, wow. So many Goim wanted to convert. Also, it happened one more time in the time of Haman and Mordechai and Esther. After the Goim saw the miracles that happened to the Jews, that not only Haman didn't destroy them like he wanted, they hung him with his sons in a big tree in Shushan, in Iran, and they hung him over there. And the end, the Jews, the king went with the Jews, and he gave Mordechai the stamp, and all this, the rest of the story. Many of them, they saw what happened in, in the 127 countries. So they, they realized that the Jews are the chosen people and God is protecting them in a very, very special way. So they converted. That's what the Megillah says. Many of the Goim becoming Jews. Why? 
because they saw the hand of Hashem. But that's that's legit. No problem. You you're allowed to be if Hashem if you admire Hashem, if you're impressed from what He did, and because of that you want to be a Jew. It's very good. But if you only want to be a Jew because of your personal benefits, you want to be rich, you want to have this girl, whatever, the, or you don't want to be ex, uh, executed in your country, so you escape to Israel. I heard a rumor that Mubarak is hiding in Israel, in Elat. He gave him a suite in a hotel with Israeli security. He's hiding over there with the $70 billion that he exported out of Egypt. Of course, if he would stay in Egypt, they'd chop him to pieces. Because by the Arabs, when you're guilty, you're guilty. It's no games. No mercy over there. So uh, he knows. You know. I don't know if it's true. You know, in, a, in the news, you have a lot of rumors. I also heard a week ago that he's already dying, that any minute he's going to die. So far, we didn't hear about it. Rumors are rumors. Let's move on. The Gemara says like this. There were... Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, A person cannot marry a woman thinking at the time of the marriage, I'm only marrying her for a certain time, and I'm going to divorce her. Why? Let's see, he has a plan. He said, all I need is a kid. I have a, a, a girl for my first marriage. I need one boy. I'll marry her. I don't like her so much. But I need a boy because I need to make mitzvah pruvu. I need a boy and a girl. So egoistic reasons. Let me marry her year or two. Hopefully she'll become pregnant fast. If I have a boy, the next day I'll divorce her. I made my mitzvah. That's one example. Or he wants to marry her knowing her father is going to die any minute. He's going to give her a billion dollars. After he takes the money, he takes what he deserves and divorces her. Or he has no place to live. So she offered him a place to live. But it's only temporary until I make money, then I dump her. It's not legal to do such a thing. Even though there's no rule, you know, that if you marry a woman and you divorce her, you're a criminal, over here you are. It says like this, Al tachrosh al Hashem doesn't like people like these snakes. They come undercover and suck the blood of another person, take advantage of what he has, and that's the only reason why they came. Not only in marriage. Here they talk about marriage, it's in everything. Ah, you know these people that you only hear from them when they need something? I, 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 it happens to me, I have a friend that all the books that I find beautiful things in them come from him, because he has like 20,000 books in his house. The books are full of knowledge. Some of it I already know. I don't need to go and buy a book because I'm going to read the whole book and everything that over there I already know. So maybe I'm going to find five or six things that I can speak about that I didn't know until now. So to start buying every day, $20, $20, $20, it's going to be thousands of dollars. If a person that lives two blocks away from you has so many books, you go, you choose, you borrow it a day, you read what you want, you made your notes, you give it back. So now you already know, every time I call, first thing he tells me, it's a joke. But you know, in every joke, there's something real. What do you need now? So how do you know I need something? Maybe I call to give you something. People only call me when they need books. You understand? At least now you do it for a mitzvah. You want to learn Torah, very good. But you know what I'm talking about. Why you came? Oh, I missed you, I haven't seen you for a while. You wait an hour, then you tell him what you need. 
come on. So the Torah says like this. Don't marry any woman knowing that you're about to divorce her. If it's not real, don't do it. Today it's very common. People get married for egoistic reasons. It's against the Torah. Now, if your brother passed away, God forbid, in the time of the Torah, you had two options. One is to, if he did not leave any kids, you marry his, daughter, his wife, and the kid that comes, you name after him, and that's establishing descendants for your brother. That's what the Torah says. If you or the wife of your brother are not interested in this new relationship, all she, all, you have to go in front of the Beit Din, the Jewish court, and she, you take off your shoe, and she spit on your shoe. It's a special ceremony, as the Torah say. And the court announced, this is what a person that does not want to establish descendants to his brother deserve. It's like an embarrassing, embarrassing thing. You take off your shoe, she spit on the shoe, everyone looks at you. It's maybe to make you think over. Maybe don't be so egoistic. Maybe you make your brother has a descendants and will count his descendants, the Torah say. But some people didn't want. I don't like her. I don't care about my brother, whatever. So she cannot get married until that ceremony. She's like a married woman, even though he died. Even today? Even today. But if he left any kids, then she becomes a widow. She can do whatever she wants. But if he did not leave kids, she's still locked to the deceased husband until she will be released from one of his brothers to make halitza. Since today people are not holy, and most of the relationship between men and a woman is based on physical pleasure and nothing else, almost everything, then it's forbidden to do yevum. You cannot take the wife of your brother if he died without kids and make yevum. No, not allowed. Why? Because you're not doing it with a clear mind. You're doing it for other reasons. So what do you have to do? After all, she needs to get married. So you make her chalitza and you release her. Now the Torah says... You have to wait at least three months after the death of your brother before you do it. Why? Maybe she's pregnant, you don't know. When you begin to see pregnancy, after three months, not before. And even if you see that her stomach is a little bit, uh, you know, bigger than average, maybe it's Sunday after Shabbos, too much food, chulent, so maybe she gained five pounds. Or maybe she just gained pound. You have to wait three months. After three months, a woman see that she doesn't have a period, and her three months in a row, that's already clear that she's pregnant. So now you're allowed, in the old days, to do yevum or chalitza. Today, anyway, it doesn't matter, because you do chalitza, you're not touching her anyway. So you can do, that. but the interesting things here, that even here, it says, lo, lo, lo even the chalitza, which anyway, you're not going to touch her, you cannot do. Why? Why Chalitza? Because she would be considered like a divorced woman. Maybe she want to marry a Kohen. It's like giving her a get. Maybe she didn't need it. Maybe she had a kid. She's pregnant already. She has a kid. Kohen can marry her. She's a widow. She's not divorced. Her husband died. Everything is calculated. Also, also, to tell the difference 
When a woman got divorced, she's not allowed to get remarried three months after the date of the divorce. Why, in case she was pregnant, you want to know if the baby belongs to her ex-husband or to the new husband. If she get married right away, maybe she's pregnant from the first husband. Nobody knew. And nobody would ever know. Remember, today we have DNA. But in the old days, how would you know? You know, so you got to wait three months. Three months her stomach didn't come out. That's an indication that she's not pregnant. Now she can get married. Okay? Uh, we have still a few more minutes. We achieve a lot today, Baruch Hashem. A convert that comes to convert in this time, the Gemara says, in their time, 2,000 years ago. They ask him, what did you see that you came to convert? Don't you know that the Jews is the most depressed nation? Don't you see how much they suffer? Don't you see how all the other goyim are dying to destroy them? Don't you see how they stink? How they take away their independence? How they suffer in business? How they, they have all kinds of problems. What do you need this kind of life? You're going, you have comfortable life. What do you need it for? It's interesting, because if you go to the Goim and you want to join the religion, they'll do everything they can to grab you. They pay your mortgage, they pick you up, they bring you to the church, whatever you want they do for you. Just to hunt one Jew, missionaries. They come to you. They come to you. They, they beg on the door. They come a hundred times. They give you gifts. They, whatever you want. You call them two o'clock at night. Hey, Chris. Yes. I'm considered to join your church. Really? Moshe, I'm on my way. <laughs> but by us, it's the opposite. He wants to join us. No, you don't need it. And we really mean it. It's not a trick. Hoping that he won't agree. Why? What for? Ah, if he wants to do it, he won't give up. If he's sincere, he won't give up. Did you ever see a person that is trying to make it in business that give up? I never met one. 20 years he's trying every day, meeting, conventions, flying here, flying there, another show here, there to become rich. He's 60 years old, he's still dreaming. Wait, wait until I make my first deal. I know a guy like this in Florida. Ten years is waiting to make his first real estate deal. <laughs> soon, soon, I have a deal. Soon, soon. Soon, soon, ten years already. Soon, soon. Oh, come on. <laughs> anyway, no. so what do you need this for? And then if he say, I know, and I insist to convert, or he say, i rather die than stay a goy. If he says a substantial statement. You see that right away, there's no doubt, it's very serious. You allow him to fill up the application. That's what it calls in our time. Okay, fill up the paperwork, and we'll invite you to interview him, whatever. After the interview, they give him some books to learn and all that, okay? They begin to teach him the easy mitzvot. See, we wash our hands, we do this. Once a year, we sit in a sukkah. We begin to tell him, there's a child. we don't tell him all the laws of Shabbat. One day a week we have Shabbat, we strike, we don't create energy, we don't work, we don't drive a car, little things, you know, he begins to get the idea. And some of the important mitzvot. We're not allowed to do this, we're not allowed to do this, for a Jew it's a very big sin, okay. The Gemara says like this, 
קשים גרים לישראל כספחת. The converts, it's like a skin cancer in the body of the nation of Israel. Skin cancer, you know, like a stain or something, like leprosy, that's maybe a better word. Why? If a person has a perfect body, then he has stains on his body. The perfectness that he had does not exist anymore. It's problems. Got to clean this, all these stains that you have here, there. Some people would not show themselves on the street if they have this kind of leprosy or whatever it is. Why is it? Few explanations why. One, one is that when they convert, they become so righteous, they jeopardize the status of the Jews from birth. For instance, let's say you are religious all your life. And then come this crease, became religious two years later, all they learn Torah, beard, mikveh, fanatic. Ah, forget it. I know a few of them like this. You know, first thing I ever, first time I saw a convert in my life was Rav Yuda Peretz, the Mexican convert that was a priest in Mexico and converted. Yeah, he gives lectures, sometimes he comes here. You know where I met him? I met him in Monsi in the house of a very good friend of mine. The best friend I ever had. His name is Shimon Navarro. I was invited to his house for Pesach, and I see it, and I see this guy looks to me Chinese. I see beard, peot. I say to myself, I, I'm sure that this guy is not, he wasn't born Jewish. But then I can try to talk to him. He doesn't talk. I come, I try to talk to him once after the meal. He goes like this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I say to myself, well, what's going on here? Then later, on another occasion, I ask him, why are you always quiet like this? He said, oh, don't worry, I just finished my 40 days. For 40 days, I didn't speak anything besides Torah, he says to me. So why? He said, the Ariya Kadosh said that if you're silent 40 days and you only talk Torah, you become, you get... A, a divine vision, Ruach HaKodesh. 40 days, Ta'anit Dibur. No talking except words of Torah. Nothing. How are you doing? How's the weather? How's the traffic? What happened in the game? You lose your holiness. Only Torah, you become Baruch Hashem holy. So that day that he finally spoke to me, he asked me if I go by any chance to Brooklyn. I said, no, I go to downtown Manhattan, no problem, just to cross the bridge to take you and come back. Borough Park, no, not that far. So I give him a ride, me, my wife, and he sits in the back. When I went on the, I never forget this, I'm talking to you 16 years ago. When I went on the George Washington Bridge, maybe I drove 50 miles an hour. Speed a little bit, but no big deal. So he says to me, why you drive so fast? I say, this is fast, 50. Say, yeah, on the bridge, the speed limit is 40. I say, but everyone drives like this. He said, but they are going, and you are a Jew, you are the son of Hashem. Chilul Hashem, he says to me. When you have converts like this, we have a serious problem. Why? We come to Hashem, he say, Hashem, I was a tzaddik, no? I did this, I did that, I learned Torah, I gave tzedakah, I ate kosher. She says, ah, yeah, you're a tzaddik? Come see. See this Muhammad that became Avram? Look at his life. Oh, you see this uh, 
סניור פרץ, that became פרץ, look at his life, write ספרי תורה, מקווה, תענית דיבור. You see this one, you see, I saw another Mexican convert in Monsi. In my whole history, I would never believe that this wasn't born a Jew. He wrote a book, such a book, long beard, looks like a chassid, peos like this. You never believe. So he said to him, oh, now I understand this Gemara. We have so many of them that became such a tzaddikim. It makes us look bad. That's one explanation. Second explanation is that the convert suffering a lot after they convert. It's a fact. Why they suffer a lot? Physically, they suffer because they come to a new area, new society, new environment. Nobody knows them. Everyone is suspicious. No, you know, I mean, is it real? Is it not real? And they leave their parents, their, uh, their siblings. The, the language is difficult until they begin to learn Hebrew and this. It's very difficult. But that's not even this. The main suffering comes to them for, where were you until now? You are 35. Why did it take you 35 years to convert? Can you believe, can you believe such a thing? If they, that they are not even obligated to convert, but when finally they did it, Hashem will ask them, why 35 years you didn't do it? Only when you were, I don't know, 40, 50, 60. Where were you? You didn't see the truth? You had the potential to see the truth when you were 18. So because of that, what's going to be with us? They are not obligated. We are obligated all our life to be righteous. Finally, a person became Baal Shuvah when he's 40. Of course Hashem will tell him, where were you since you are 13, I'm waiting for you. You know how much he suffered for it? Rabbi Akiva suffered. He had a very difficult life. Later he became good. He suffered a lot, of course. Read the life of Rabbi Akiva, how much he suffered. Oh, you mean he was punished? Or, or not keeping the principle? Of course. What do you think? First of all, who told you he didn't know? I never saw in any of the things that he didn't know. He was ignorant, that's true. He didn't learn Torah. But who's to say he didn't know who was Hashem? Or in those days, everyone knew who was Hashem. Even the Apikorsim, when they argue in the Gemara, you see the arguments of the wicked people 2,000 years ago is nothing like today. Today you can have a person that is really naive. He has no idea what Hashem is, what Torah, and his questions come not from evilness, or from trying to get you angry, because he has really no idea. And when you begin to argue with him, maybe two or three minutes, you think, what a wicked guy. And then after five minutes, you realize, well, he's really not wicked. He has no idea what it is. He grew up like a, they raised him like a donkey. Eat, have a female, it's, that's it. He's no, he doesn't understand life, afterlife, a soul. To prove to him there is a soul, you need a week. He doesn't even believe there is a soul. He doesn't believe in anything. Not because he's bad, because this is the way they raised him. Giving him so much garbage. That's why I say, when we make people religious, all the environment of those people begin to pump into their head. Be careful. It's a brainwash. Be careful. Stay away from this rabbi. I don't want him to call you. Change your cell phone. So when this guy comes to me and says, my parents giving me hard time, my brother, my friends, this, that, 
they say that you brainwash me, so he's expecting me to say, no, God forbid, I'm not brainwashing you, that's the truth. So I always surprise them by saying, yes, they're right, I'm brainwashing you. I'm washing your brain from all the dirt and all the garbage that they push into in the last 20 years. You know what a hard job it is? To clean all the garbage from there that the pure Torah can go in? What do you think if the bucket is full of dirt, full of bathroom stuff inside, and you want to put solid, pure milk, how the milk going to look? The milk is white and pure and beautiful, or the water. But when there's bathroom stuff inside, it won't be so clean, right? You know anyone, you take a drop of the exit of a body of a person from the bathroom, put it inside the bucket, and put five gallons of water inside. You know anyone will touch this water? No. One drop! With a Q-tip I took from the bathroom and spark. What happened? Imagine if it's full of it. Oh, wow. It's a hard work. But that's already not my work. That's the work of the Torah. We'll continue next week. Bezrat Hashem. We're in Masechet Yevamot. Thank you for coming. Next Wednesday, 8.30.